Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another evening, another weeknight, reflecting into the richness of our faith. It is Monday evening, and so we have the opportunity to take up once again the topic of this call to witness to our faith, to witness in truth. And uh, tonight I have Ivan Mora uh, joining me over from the Newman Center in uh, Chico State. He goes to Chico State. So Ivan, it's good to have you with me tonight. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be here. Ivan, uh, you know, as we talk about this topic of uh, witness in truth, uh, before I called you the other day to come join me, the word truth uh, kind of stuck out to me in my mind. And, you know, as I was Talking to you, it, it had occurred to me that the word itself, uh, truth, is the same word where we get the word purity. In fact, the the uh, Hebrew word for pure is is emeth, which translates as truth. Uh, so out from that, I started thinking, hey, <laughs> we need to have a conversation about purity. And of course, this kind of discussion always has us going back to John Paul II's great work, Love and Responsibility. You know, it's interesting to note, uh, Ivan, that when you talk about John Paul II, one of the great gifts that he has left for us, if not the single uh, greatest gift he has left for us as a church, is his work, uh, Theology of the Body. You know, he's, he's thinking about this on the heels of what? World War II. He's asking the deepest questions about man in light of what he was experiencing as a young man. So later in life, he, he starts to pen this work, a love and responsibility, which is kind of the f- philosophy, if you will, that lays the foundation for theology of the body. And so what we're going to do then with our brief time tonight, Ivan, is take up what it means to talk about theology of the body, what lies at the heart of it, with a particular emphasis on purity as it comes out of our relationship in God and in the purity of Christ. And this is going to be a primer for what we do down the road. Uh, If hopefully we can get to it later this year, where we lay out a whole series of weeks um, on topics and themes regarding theology of the body. So, Ivan, we hear this word, we hear this phrase, theology of the body. What are we talking about? Well, I first heard theology of the body during a small conference that was on my hometown. And it was at a time in my life where I was looking for answers to some of the most important questions, like, why am I here? And uh, there was this speaker named Damon Owens speaking about theology of the body. And pretty much what theology of the body is, I learned, theology means the study of God. Just like psychology, the study of the mind, theology is the study of God. 
And when we say theology of the body is somehow through our body, through our sexuality, we can learn something about who God is and what he has intended for us. And so that would be in a very simple way what theology of the body is. Yeah. What lies at the heart of it when we start talking about the study of God and ultimately we look at our bodies, we have to take up this great word of love. And there's a wonderful quote from from John Paul II that I know you had pulled up there on on love. And this really is uh, the essence of all of it. John Paul II said that man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless. If love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, he does not participate intimately in it. Yeah, and out from that, I'm, I'm reminded of some words of, of John Paul II that kind of hits this home. He, you know, he says, people are made to be loved, things are made to be used. We love things and use people. We, we have it backwards, and we see this in our culture today. Um, Ivan, you know, as we talk about the call to witness in truth, uh, the, the call to, to witness in, in a, a deep sense of purity and holiness um, ultimately is to go deeper in our relationship with God, that we might discover that, in essence, our identity, the full meaning of our identity, can only be seen in light of God and, of course, the revelation of Jesus Christ, because it is Jesus Christ who gives us the full meaning of man, body and soul. You know, I was, uh, I was on a plane trip a few years back, um, coming back from Oxford, England, from uh, Heathrow Airport uh, to San Francisco. It was a 13-hour plane trip, Ivan. Uh, there was no stops. So from, from London to San Francisco. And as I, I sat down, there was a gentleman on my right who had some sort of pornographic mag- magazine and there was a gentleman on my left, he was a minister, and he wanted to talk about God. And I thought to myself, what, isn't this going to be interesting? You know, this is 13 hours of nonstop conversation in the end, Ivan, about theology of the body. And really a response to that contemporary maxim of, you know, what is sex if not for pleasure? But when I had gotten off that plane, it had me going deeper into really the topic of sexuality and theology of the body. And some of my initial research had me going to what, what is going on in pornography today. And there's some striking things in regards to where our culture is at today. And I want to draw this out a little bit so as to kind of put into context uh, the call to witness to uh, this truth that is to be deep in our relationship with Jesus Christ that we might discover this great gift of purity. So there was a a research outlet out from Utah that Bess is now back in 2006 that did some research. So this is just in 2006, Ivan. So this is eight years ago. Uh, Now there's some more contemporary studies, but I I thought this was striking. Every eight years ago, every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being produced. Every second... Over 28,000 internet users are viewing pornography worldwide. The pornography industry on the internet alone claimed over 97 
billion dollars, which is more than Microsoft, Google, Yahoo, and Apple combined. Combined. You know, the United States alone is over uh, is, is a host to over 244 million adult web pages. And maybe uh, most scary, Ivan, is that the average age of the first uh, internet exposure to uh, pornography is 11. 11. In a more recent study uh, done by Covenant Eyes, in 2013, it has been found that 90% of boys before the age of 18 have been exposed to internet pornography. Now, particular to mobile devices, the research mogul Google has reported that one out of every five of their search hits are for pornography. And maybe what is most striking out of all of this, Ivan, is that when, why, when might you suspect that people are online? What time? Well, nowadays, almost all day, because yeah. we have our smartphones. Yeah, and so w- wouldn't you know that the most frequented time, that eight-hour block that uh, this Covenant Eyes research out, uh, outlet had found, that we are spending our time looking at pornography, is between 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So when we are supposed to be producing as an industry, what are we doing? <laughs> You know, so all of this highlights the problem that we have today, that it is no longer a culture with a problem with pornography, but a pornoculture. It's interesting. The word itself, culture, it comes from the Latin cultus, to worship. What we see out there, Ivan, is a reflection of how we spend our time. If we are overemphasizing the body, and if we are abusing our sexuality, then yeah, our culture is going to be a reflection of that. And this is what we have, a pornoculture. What does it mean to use the word pornography? You know, the catechism um, speaks to it, I think, quite well and it's concise. You know, pornography consists in the removing uh, of real or simulated acts from the intimacy of partners in order to display them to third uh, parties. So I think that's a nice buttoned-up definition it's interesting if you to look at the word itself broken down in the Greek pornography, it literally translates the writing uh, of harlots. So the compound and the Greek compound conveys um, pornography as obscene writing. Um, so when our bodies are used for nothing more than acts of harlotry, acts that are separate from their intended purpose to bring about babies and bonding, ultimately we can appreciate why they have no merit. So for all of this, it's to highlight, Ivan, that we have this call before us as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and as sons and daughters of God to reclaim our identity in Christ and what it means to live a life worthy of one who is created in the image and likeness of God. One who is created in the image and likeness of love. One who is called to go deeper into this towering uh, gift and virtue of love so as to begin to better understand uh, the meaning of the vocation we have before us to witness to a world that has lost its sense of direction as it relates to love. Yeah, and I think what you're doing there is uh, you remind your 
speaking on who we are, right, and what we're meant to be. And that's why I like a lot John Paul II's uh, Theology of the Body, because he says he saw the world and all the issues that we have, including pornography and sex before marriage and all these issues that we're struggling with. And he says, what we have here is not just a problem of morality. What we have here is a problem of identity. We have forgotten who we are. Because if we knew who we are, then we wouldn't want to do these things. Yeah. And that's why he, this quote that we started with, man cannot live without love. He remains, his life is senseless. I think this is the greatest truth that we should all keep in our hearts. This is the greatest reason why we should strive to be pure because it is because of love that, that yeah, that we can be happy. Yeah. And it's, I mean, what is love? Love is to seek the good of the other. How can we seek the good of the other if we first can't see ourselves for who God created us to be? It, it, you know, use the word identity. That's so, so important, uh, Ivan, because the whole Christian vocation rests on that overarching truth that God must be first and man second. Not that we don't serve man. No, but we serve man in light of our relationship with God. This is the wisdom behind the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the two great commandments. You know, to love God first. That is what the first three commandments are all about. And then, Ivan, we can better understand what it means, right, to love neighbor. The Beatitudes. What's that first Beatitude? Let us never forget. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. This must be first. Then these other virtues, they begin to make sense. And of course, the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything that you are, and then, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It is to understand, Ivan, that there is a source of our love, and that source is love. And that's, that's what's so beautiful about um, that quote that you read from John Paul II, because it just, it hits the nail on the head. But love is, is, is more than just this, this conjugal act. It's more, it's friendship, and it's above all, sacrifice. Sacrifice is love's uh, second name. And it's interesting, as we talk about the need to be pure, Ivan, that we have in the Beatitudes this call to be pure. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. A Beatitude that talks about the purity of heart, body, and intellect that predisposes us to see the stuff of God. It's interesting, the word for purity in the Beatitudes, the Greek is katharos, and this has a uh, rich historical context. It, it has us going back into the Old Testament uh, priestly sense of the word and its rite of purification. Um, we are made to see that the pure of heart um, is about being consecrated to God. <laughs> and how beautiful is that, Ivan? You know, we, we go to um, the Mass yesterday, <laughs> was the third scrutiny, and... Uh, the homily was about baptism. This, this great sacrament that has us consecrated to God, set apart for God, this call to be holy. So yeah, it's right that when we talk about the word purity, we're seeing a word that is uh, synonymous with uh, truth. 
And it's, it's why the, the Catechism says, and I love this phrase, Ivan, that purity guards the intimate center of the person, drawing us deeper into the mystery of God's own life of uh, holiness. And it's interesting that when it comes to other, for instance, purity, some people may say, well, that sounds great. You know, I want to be pure and I want to be able to see God with pure eyes. And, but it's just hard. I, every time that I tried, you know, I fail. Yeah. So what happens then? But here's where, where Christ comes in. And yes. because of Christ, we believe in the redemption of our body. Yes. That we can come to see through His grace, not because of our own efforts, but because of Him, we can come to see as God sees more and more. He will never be completely perfect. As long as we're on this earth, we will always be affected by the effects of original sin. But according to the scripture and, and theology of the body of John Paul II, we can come to become more and more pure by the grace of God and be able to see each other through those eyes. Ivan, as you use the word redemption of the body, I think an important note to be aware of is that when Christ goes to the adulterous woman and he forgives her, this is the first sin that he forgives, the first act of forgiveness. I think for the whole world, in light of what we talked about as it relates to pornography, we need to be aware of this, that Christ, he, he seeks to forgive and that when it comes to sexual sin, this is the first sin that he forgives. Yeah, and I think the reason why is because he knows that we're longing for love. He knows that we're thirsting for him. But so often we look for satisfaction in the wrong places. That's why he was so compassionate to sexual sinners, because he wants to redeem us. He wants us to know that it is him that we're looking for. You know, I'm a college student. I know where students are at. And I know that it can be really hard to live up to these teachings. But I think that if we turn to Christ with sincerity and humility and we tell him, he will give us new life. He will grant us the gift of purity. Amen. Now, the world only gives us two options. The world says, uh-uh, you either indulge on your loss or you repress. But here's, here's a third option that Christianity offers us. And he's like, no, allow God to redeem you. You may come to experience those feelings, that you may come to experience your sexuality as it is meant to be. Yeah, and we look at the word no, and we say, well, that's no fun. No is no fun, right? I mean, Joe, what you're talking about right now, you and I, Ivan, it's all just, it's all rigid. It's closed. It doesn't allow us to be free. Ah. But are we free? Yeah, and here's an analogy that can probably gives us a vision. Being, health, uh, being pure is like being healthy. When you're a healthy person, being healthy doesn't mean just saying no to a bunch of things. So no to eating bacon every morning. But it also means being vital and energized and happy. Um, in the same way, being pure doesn't just mean saying no to pornography, saying no to sexual sins. It also means saying yes to authentic love, saying yes to experiencing self-mastery, to being able to love a person for who they are and not be enslaved to our own passions. Yeah, and so in that context, we should get it, really, I mean, because, okay, so we're, we're across the street from Emotion Fitness. That is a very busy place, right? And I guarantee you, Ivan, and 
for all of our listeners out there, I think they'd agree with me, that there are a lot of people over there who are working out, you know, toning up uh, their physical bodies, if you will, are at the same time saying no to a lot of things. You said bacon. I love uh, a good Butterfinger. If I had um, some Butterfinger on that vanilla bean ice cream every night, I would begin to notice that it makes a difference in what I look like, right? There's a reason why we say no. That makes sense. It's reasonable to us, Ivan. The thing of it is, we don't always apply what we can see versus what we don't see. In purity, we are able to see God for who he is. And when we see God, then the no's become almost habitual. What's on the other side of that no is what is life-giving. So we say no to this because I will have more life tomorrow. If I indulge, as you were saying, if I indulge myself in, in, in my favorite thing, then I will feel the effects tomorrow. It's interesting, that word again, katharos, it was... It was a word in the Old Testament, this, this Old Testament Levitical sense of, of offering, but it really was about the rite of uh, purification. Now, when we purify ourselves, we're still in Lent, right? When we purify ourselves, we say no to things for a reason. It makes us stronger. And this is what lies at the heart of theology of the body. To say no to one thing is to say yes to another thing. And that yes is God. And it's life-giving. It doesn't make sense to us to put, say, uh, suffering and joy in the same verse, in the same sentence. But this is what Paul does. This is what Peter does. You know, they talk about this joy that springs forth from the knowing that behind every no, there's an immeasurable greater yes. That knowing that in my relationship with Jesus Christ, he's going to have something more for me, something greater for me. You know, Pope Benedict once said, Ivan, that we need to let God surprise us. The thing of it is, we say no to him, <laughs> and we don't let God work in our lives. And the great yes that we're talking about is that, that purity, that, that guarding the intimate center so that we might see God. To have a vision of God, to be able to put everything that we see and everything that we do in the context of God, it's life-giving. It's interesting. The word enthusiasm and the Greek entheos, to bear God within, right? When, when we bear God within, Ivan, there's an enthusiasm that springs forth. There's a glow of fervor, if you will. And that, that is the moment when we begin to witness to all the people out there that you want to know what? There's something greater than what the world promises. There's something greater. And this can become a powerful means of evangelization. Yeah, and I think this is a good opportunity to put, how about we put purity in the context of a relationship? I think uh, if we put... For instance, a worldly relationship is almost like eating out of a dumpster. Yeah, it, feel, it, it, it satisfies a little bit of hunger, but in the long run, as, as Christopher West says, you can only eat out of a dumpster for so long before you start feeling nauseous. Yes. And you start saying, there's got to be something more. 
in a Christian-based relationship that experiences their, their sexuality as it is meant to be is, is like eating out of a banquet mm-hmm. that God has laid down for you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah. And it can only be understood in light of the relationship because what you feed grows. Vice begets vice, virtue begets more virtue. And when you spend more time with Jesus Christ, then what are you going to want to do? Spend more time with Jesus Christ. The less time you spend with Jesus Christ, the more we become attached to the world. There's a great verse that comes to us from uh, the beginning of chapter 12, where Paul talks about that uh, our whole lives are to become a spiritual uh, worship. He says, a holy and acceptable offering to God. I love that verse, a holy, acceptable offering to God, a living sacrifice. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us, especially in the biblical world. I mean, if you really think about it, Diving, when you, when you heard the word sacrifice, what did you think of? Death, right? But what Paul is saying here is living sacrifice. What is Paul talking about? It's Paul. Paul is is the one man who understands the Old Testament. Remember, Paul, once Saul, was the prized pupil of uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. We see him in Acts 5. Rabbi Gamaliel was the, he was the, uh, he was the the, the scholar of scholars. He was the Rabboni of Rabbonis. He was master teacher. It was said of him when Rabbi Gamaliel died, the glory of the Torah died. Why do I talk about this, Ivan? Because his prized pupil was Saul, Paul. He knows the Old Testament. So why now here is he talking about living sacrifice? That doesn't make any sense because when, you know, when you're being sacrificed, it's because you're dead, (laughs) right? But this is the whole point. This is the whole point. This is the paradox of Christianity. Where there's death, there's a life. Where there's death, there's life. And this is what he wants us to see. You know, we are sanctified. Paul says we are sanctified in Jesus Christ. You know, that word sanctified, hagias in the Greek, set apart for a holy purpose that we might discover our new identity in Christ, that we might be better stewards of the new goals that Christ gives us to evangelize and catechize on this very subject matter that we're talking about. Theology of the body where we can begin to discover that in our sexuality, in who we are, created as male and female, the image likeness of God, that indeed it is a way to better understand the greatness of the vocation that God has given us. A vocation that is rooted in putting on the cloth of Christ. A wonderful exhortation from St. Paul in his letter to the Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Let us renew ourselves in the challenge of becoming more whole in the holiness of Christ, dying to that one thing that God asks us to die to today so that indeed we might be more attached to God. If we enjoy something, we will want more of it. Let us put away the enjoyments of the world and put on the enjoyment of Christ, that purity of Christ. Well, that's pretty much a wrap, Ivan. Thanks for joining me uh, tonight. I very much look forward to, to having you uh, with me um, when we again take up this subject matter of theology of the body down the road. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.